did. Did you know that credit card debt in America is at an all-time high? In fact, the average American household is holding a credit card debt right now of $9,312. That's the average home in America. Did you know that the highest paid college basketball coach in America is paid $6,356,756 a year? And that particular coach said this week, and I quote, it was not our goal to win the NCAA this year. It was to send eight young men to the NBA. <laughs> Seriously, $6 million a year. Did you know that the world's richest athlete has a net worth of $580 million? Do you know who that might be? Tiger Woods. There was a time when Bill Gates was making $30 million a day. A day. Between 2009 and 2014, his wealth has doubled from $40 billion to over $82 billion. So I think he's making a little bit more than $30 million a day. He is currently the richest man in the world. To quote him from Time Magazine as to why he doesn't go to church on Sunday. He says, just in terms of allocation of time and resources, religion is not very efficient. There's a lot more I could do on Sunday morning than go to church. Hebrews 13.5 says, keep your lives free from the love of money. And be content with what you have. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Matthew 16.26 says, What good will it be if a man gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? For one reason or another, most people today are concerned about Money. And they say it is money that makes the world go around. I guess it's not love anymore. It's money or the love of money that makes the world go around. It's estimated that 40% of the weddings that fail fail because of issues with money. That's a lot of failing. Do you know what the average cost of a wedding in America is today? Twenty-eight grand to say I do. All of us have a tendency to be overly concerned about money from time to time, and the Bible has a lot to say about our attitude towards our wealth. Interesting, the Bible uses the word believe 272 times. The word pray 371 times. The Bible uses the word love 714 times. And the word give when it is connected to our wealth and our attitude towards wealth 2,162 times. So it's obvious to me 
that our creator knew what his creation would struggle with the most. Today we continue our what-if experience. We've talked about getting a grip on the areas of our life that might allow us to be more effective. We have talked about our ability to forgive. We have talked about our ability to better control our thoughts. We've talked about letting go of worry. We've talked about controlling our words and making better use of our time. And today I want to spend a few minutes with what if, what if we took better control of our finances? What would we look like? What would our church family look like or our church as a whole? So if you have your Bibles with you, Matthew chapter 19, starting with verse 16, Jesus has just discussed the issue of divorce and he's also talked about the place that children will have in the kingdom of God. And then he says in verse 16, Now a man came to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me what is good? Jesus replied, There is only one who is good, and if you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Which ones? the man asked. Jesus replied, Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and... Love your neighbor as yourself. All of these I have kept, the young man said. So what do I lack? Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, then come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, there's a whole lot going on in this piece of Scripture. You know, nowhere in the Bible does it say it's a sin to have wealth. And all the people said? This is America. And all the people said? We are wealthy beyond description. It does not say it's a sin to have wealth. However, it is sinful how our wealth affects us or how we deal with our wealth. And we know that evidently this fellow that came to Jesus, we know the Bible says that he was a young man. And evidently he had a lot going on. He was probably a mover and shaker and he was probably respected in his community. Evidently he was a good young guy because when Jesus described these commandments, he said, well, I've kept all of those. But still there was something missing in his life. There was an emptiness, a hole that needed to be filled. He said, I've done all of these things, but what must I do to be part of your kingdom? And this is probably the only time in the text that I can see Jesus making this request of someone. He told him to go sell all that he had and give it to the poor. And when he was done, when that was completed then he could come and and follow. So the attitude that the young man had towards his wealth was huge. The Bible said that the young man, in the King James, it says his face fell. 
In the New International, it says that he was sad. Have you ever seen someone when their face had fallen? Little babies at a very early part of their existence develop the little lip. You know what I'm talking about? Who teaches them that? Where do they learn that? That little lip comes out, their face falls, and you begin to melt, don't you? I stopped right there in the text. The next part is very interesting to me. Because as soon as the young man began to leave, Jesus pulled the guys together, and he said, hey, 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 hey. You know, somebody go get him and bring him back here because, you know, he's a wealthy young man. He has charisma. I can use him in my kingdom work. And we could probably use his money too. So somebody go get him. Is that what your Bible says? When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. It was a heart problem that he had. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for the camel to go through the eye of the needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. So Jesus doesn't chase after this young man. He knows his heart is not right, and he knows he has to have a heart transplant, if you will, in order to follow him into his kingdom. When Debbie and I were in Israel, we saw the eye of the needle. It's a little bitty entrance into the city of Jerusalem. You know, at nighttime, they closed the gates for safety. And the only way that you could get back into the city, if you were out doing things and you missed the curfew, was to come through the eye of the needle. And I'm telling you, it is barely big enough for a man to squeeze through. They did this for safety precaution. There is no way, I think that a camel could squeeze through that opening. Now, evidently, it's possible because Jesus said at least it would be possible. And I've seen some camels get down on their knees and do some pretty weird things. But it would be a hard fit. And Jesus said it would be easier for that to happen than it would be for a rich man to enter the kingdom because of our hearts probably not a person here today who does not have more than they need we all have more than we need don't we this whole thing with finances is kind of a big deal the problem comes when our finances are out of control when we either are abusing them or we just don't have any control over those type things we hate to hear these type of messages Because we all struggle with this thing called money. The problems that can come when our finances are out of control, it's obvious. I've already mentioned that divorce can happen. It does make people's lives miserable. And if uh, not divorce, there are huge arguments. The number one thing that people argue about in the home is money. How we use it. What do we do with it or don't do with it? Some people get physically sick over the issues that money can cause. Some people depressed emotionally. Some have taken their own life because the money issues in their life were out of 
control. So today, what good will it do if we work harder to get a grip on our spending habits? So today, how to and what good, I want to answer in both, both together. So when you get things under control, I want to be clear that it just doesn't happen overnight, but when you get your finances under control, your quality of life will get better and you will experience a peace and contentment like never before. So today I want to give you five ways to tweak your finances. Everybody here have finances? So we're kind of sailing down that same stream together. The first thing is a decision has to be made that we settle in financially for the long haul. Let me kind of talk you through that in the past few weeks we've talked about various characteristics that we can do to make our lives better and you know forgiving someone or forgiveness as a whole takes repeated effort doesn't it and once you think you kind of got it down something else usually comes your way and you think I got to forgive them because I have to or because I get to but I have found out that forgiveness is kind of a repeated effort Controlling our thoughts. Anyone here real good at doing that? Repeated effort it takes to control our thoughts. How many times have I prayed, Satan, get out of my head? Get out of my head. I have prayed, Satan, get out of my house, get out of my car, get out of this place. It takes repeated effort to control our thoughts. Letting go of worry. Are we very good at doing that? It takes repeated effort to just let it go. I don't know how many people have called me, stopped me uh, uh, at various places here in our city, have emailed me, have written me notes saying in these few weeks that we're doing the what if thing, you have been preaching right at me. And they've asked me, have you been following me around? Do you have cameras in my home, in my car? And the answer is no, 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 and no. I'm preaching at us, at me. These are things that we all have to deal with. At least I got you thinking that's a pretty good thing. The experts say that the hardest thing to do nowadays is to force people to get people to think. And the hardest thing to do is to get them to act upon what they've thought about. Watching our words. Now that's a good one, isn't it? Took us two weeks to get through that topic. And I'm sure we're still not really good at it. It takes repeated effort. Making better use of our time, repeated effort. And today's topic, just like the others, it demands a lot of discipline. It's a lifelong process. And it takes effort. We have a gym about a mile up the road from us. It's called Elite Fitness. I am a member of that gym, and I try to go as often as I can. You know what I found out? It's harder to stay in shape than it is to get out of shape. Have you been there? You know, there's a thing called exercise. In order to be where it ought to be, we need to do it time and time and time again. When we were downtown, I was a member of the YMCA, and we had a had a friend down there, a CEO of the YMCA. His name was Gary. 
he started coming to our church and I baptized Gary and Gary told me, hey, Clark, if you take care of my spiritual life, I'll take care of your physical life. I said, what's that mean? And he said, I'll see you tomorrow morning at six at the Y. And the guy about killed me. And we had a great relationship until he moved to Colorado. But it takes a lot to stay in good shape, doesn't it? It's an effort. It takes time. One of the ways to settle in for the long haul is to become as informed as you possibly can, especially about your finances. Had a book in my office. I wanted to bring it today, but I left it in my office this morning. It's called Finances for Dummies. Budgeting for Dummies. Anybody here ever feel like a dummy financially? You ever do something maybe financially you probably shouldn't have done financially? You come to the end of the month, and if you can still celebrate, that's usually a good time. Have you ever called your family together and put everybody on a spending freeze? I mean, that's kind of life. The Bible says in Proverbs 13, 16, every prudent man or wise man acts out of knowledge. Except the fact that learning about money matters is important, and we need to know how and where we need to improve, that becomes... Or means becoming a lifelong learner. You know, they say that once you retire, what's the greatest fear that you have? Am I going to have enough money for the rest of my life? Or am I going to run out of money before I run out of life? So I guess it never kind of leaves us. Preston is five and they're trying to teach him the value of money. A lot of times when I go into town, we'll just go out and grab something and that'll give him the chance for me and him to interact and for him to play with something for a long, long time. Last time they were in, he had $2.35 he had saved. We went shopping. Every toy he picked out was like $24. So, hey, after about three or four minutes, I'm ready to move on. I said, Preston, I think that's just what you need and we got a transformer for 24 bucks. He gave me his $2.30 and I stuck it in my pocket and we went up and we paid for it. As soon as we got home, his parents wanted to know if that cost $2.30. I said, every bit of it. And life went on. We start putting a value on money at a very early age. And then we continue down that path for a long, long time. The second thing that I may suggest that we do with their finances and that is start paying attention to what you do with your money have you ever asked the question where did all where did it go so fast just got paid and now it's gone what do we do with it you may want to track where your money goes for maybe a month or so it'll be scary it will make you uh make you meaner than you think you could be when you realize that you're wasting money in areas that you need not waste them. Answering the question and taking some time to write some things down goes a long, long way. Most of us are very good at wasting money, better than we think. The third thing you might want to consider is to start putting money away. Proverbs 12, 20 or 21, 20 says, the wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. Proverbs 13, 11, he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. 
And you all know that the best way to make a lot of money is to put it in the bank and to collect the, in, in, the interest. Not so much, right? They don't pay you a whole lot for your money nowadays, do they? You know, I think if you try to put money some back each week or each month, that's going to be a good thing for down the road. Debbie and I try to do this. We try to put some money back for days to come. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm not being mean, okay? I'm just telling you the truth. The church here has never provided any type of retirement benefits or insurance benefits. So we have to be very prudent with our monies. And that's not a bad thing. It teaches us to save. I, I, I wanted to bring my wild money jar to show you today, but it was too heavy. I had this big table sitting right here, and I came and I cleared it out this morning. But, but I have a, a, a five-gallon glass jug that I put my change in every night before I go to bed. And it's heavy right now. It's about this full. That's not very full. The last time I cashed it in, there was $1,700 in that jug that came from my loose change. And we call it wild money. That means if we're going on vacation, we might use that wild money to do some wild stuff. Maybe play some golf, maybe do some go-karts when the boys were little and they wanted to see how much money we had for vacation, they would just jug that thing out, you know, and they would count it and roll it, and they'd let me know exactly how wild we could be. When the boys first got their first cars, don't know how much was in the jug, but I said, hey, why don't you use my wild money to help pay for that? They had no problem jugging it out and wrapping it up. We have used it to buy some things in emergency sometimes. Just this past month, we've had a washing machine, a hot water heater, and something else go askew just in one month. I don't like getting wild that way, do you? That's not my idea of wild money. When the boys were going to school, both of them had a car that had uh, cup holders, and I would often pull up that cup holder and slip a 20 underneath that and slap it back down there. So whenever they were somewhere and they were out of money, they always knew they had some money somewhere, some wild money. Might send them some note with wild money. The girls told me once they married that they thought that I probably funded their whole dating life with wild money. I don't know how you save. I think we all need to save for days to come. I think we all need to save for today, for emergency. And I think we all need to have a little wild money somewhere just to get a little crazy now and then when the boys were little i used to tell them that's my smoking and drinking money i don't do that i just throw this money in the jug and we get wild we have been to some water parks that we probably couldn't afford we've been to some places we probably couldn't be otherwise but with our wild money that's a good good thing Fourth thing I would like to encourage you to think at least think through it, that's to make every effort to get out of debt. Isn't that easier said than done? Anybody here, is that your dream, to be out of debt, to be debt-free someday? You know, it's, it's a process. And again, I'm not sure that you just walk into that. A recent study shows that Americans 
carry three quarters of a trillion dollars in credit card debt. Three quarters of a trillion. I couldn't even write that. And people are buying most often not things with long-term value, but they are buying daily essentials, things that they need each month to survive with their credit cards. I tried real hard to find this commercial for you this week, but I failed. I like to tell Michael he failed. I said, Michael, dude, you let me down. He goes, don't worry, I'm not even going to be there Sunday. MasterCard has a commercial. It sets kind of, you know, someone buying two tickets for Paris. And it says, two tickets to Paris, $1,800. Goes on to say, rental for a private chalet, $650 a night. And then it says, an evening for two at a sidewalk cafe, $50 in Paris. And then it says, sharing it with someone you love, priceless it doesn't say anything about the stress of having to pay that off doesn't say anything about the going interest rate for that credit card doesn't say anything about if you can't afford this don't do it I gotta tell you I grew up in Paris Paris, Illinois If you can't afford Paris, France, you may want to shoot for Paris, Illinois. Not a bad place. Or maybe even considering staying home, Paul says in Romans 13, 8, let no debt remain outstanding except the debt to love one another. Eliminating debt is something that takes most people years to accomplish That's why my first point was to settle in for the long haul. Being debt-free does take some time. The fifth thing that I would like to share with you, and I could spend another session on this, give more this month than you did last month, and now I'm talking about stewardship. You see, we have a tendency to give only when it's easy and when things get tight, We tend not to give. And you know, giving stewardship is an act of worship. And God calls his people to be good stewards. Matthew 6.21 says, Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. We worry about what matters to us most, and most of us worry most about money. When we worry this way, it shows a lack of gratitude to God, for he's given us so much and he's done so much for us in the past and the present and he's got great plans for us in the future and when we get this way it shows a lack of trust in God for his ability to help us you know God has never let me down but I gotta tell you he scared me to death a couple times walk by faith not always a fun thing to do but I'm called by God to be that kind of person Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10, honor the Lord with your wealth, the first fruits of your crops. Proverbs 22, 9, a generous man will be blessed. Malachi 3, 10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Test me, says the Lord, and I will throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you may have or may not have enough room for it. It's an act of worship. 
I find this interesting. Those people who crunch numbers, they say if every church member in the United States were to suddenly lose his or her job and go on public assistance welfare, and yet they were willing to tithe out of that minimal amount that they received, giving in the nation's churches would immediately increase over 30% as to what it is right now. People often ask me, hey, how much should I give? And I got to tell you, the biblical guideline is in the Old Testament, and it talks about the tithe. This is not new information, is it? The tithe is the starting place. The tithe means a tenth of your stuff, your money's your stuff. That's just the starting place throughout the Old Testament. Then they talked about their gifts and offerings in addition to the tithe. Do you know that tithe is really not mentioned in the New Testament? Now there's some references made, the book of Hebrews and the book of Luke, there's some references made to the tithe, but it's really not mentioned. And all the people said, Sweet. Because we're a New Testament church, aren't we? I mean, isn't that what we advertise ourselves as? A New Testament church, and now you're telling me that the tithe is in the Old Testament, and that's... So what are we supposed to do? You see, in the New Testament, it talks about proportionately giving. Giving as you have been blessed, as you have been proportioned. I don't think God expects everybody to give the same, but he does expect equal sacrifice. And this is the best way I can explain this, so just hang on for just a few minutes. What if my family were in town today, just my immediate family, and we were going to go out to eat? That would be a group of about ten, and we would drive across town to the best restaurant in Evansville. Where would that be? I don't know where it would be for you, but I have a place in my mind. But what if you went, what, what, what if we were at the best restaurant in Evansville and we walk into the restaurant and I got all the clerks with me, just look at them coming in here. And I know the guy who owns the place and he says, hey, Jerry, what's up? And I said, hey, man, I'm just here, got my family with me and we're just going to have a great meal together. And he goes, hey, 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 you're my guest today. And we argue, but, you know, he wins. And he's got a special place for my family, and he takes us to the special room, and, and we say, well, can we see the menu? And he goes, no, 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 no. I'm going to have my chef make some of his greatest entrees for you. And, man, it starts. We do a little prayer thing, and then the food comes, and appetizers, not just one appetizer, not just, you know, try this if you want to, but he brings a bunch of appetizers. And, man, we just kind of undo our belts and just bring them and then we have soup and then we have salad and then we have the entrees steak and lobster and all kinds of stuff and then it comes time for the dessert have you ever been to one of those places that has a dessert tray they bring trays and we just don't pick one they leave it all there for us I mean man it is a feast And it comes to the time for the check, and I say, hey, where's the check? And he goes, no, 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 man, you were my guest today. And we argue a little bit, but he wins. 
And then I say, well, let me, let me get the tip. Could I do that? He goes, yeah, just, yeah. I'm in a dilemma. How much tip should I lose? How much tip should I lay down there? What would you say? 20%? Would that be okay? I'm getting some of this stuff. I have been blessed, haven't I? My family, they've eaten well. And they are smiling. And it cost me absolutely nothing. And they treated us like royalty. So you're telling me that I need to leave a 20% tip. We there? So proportionately speaking in the New Testament, what in the world has God done for you? My gosh, he sent his one and only son to die for you. He blesses you beyond the nth degree. He continues to bless you. He continues to do it in a way that brings honor to you and to his son Jesus. He blesses you with health. He gives you a place to live. He gives you a place to call home. And, and we think 10% is going to get it done. My gosh, we think, hey, that's a lot of cash, man. What's God done for you? He just wants you to give proportionately to him and his kingdom. And we think 10%, that's a lot, man. Well, is it really? Considering what God has done for you and your family, is it really? I mean, heaven's going to be a great place, isn't it? ready for the what ifs what if we got better at forgiveness would you be a better person would this be a better place what if we got better at controlling our thoughts what if we got better at controlling our words what if we got better at just not worrying what if we got better at using our time well what do you think this place would look like and what would you look like what would I look like if we controlled our money we live in the greatest country of all we are wealthy wealthy people and yet we struggle to give God what God deserves I mean I wish this place was paid for but it's not we have ways to go we have some years to go we have plans for the future that God I think has blessed and we struggle in our world to give God what he deserves Father God, forgive us.